Good morning. It is uh, my privilege, I suppose, uh, to minister the Word of God to us this morning. And uh, we have had uh, uh, quite an amazing summer of uh, listening to um, a series on the book of Psalms. And the series title is Praying Through. And a number of our beloved folks have ministered very effectively on the, the topics and the subjects that they uh, felt on their heart to preach and share, and uh, I think we've been blessed. Uh, certainly we appreciate Tom and Josh and Jillian and Kevin and Jessica. Hopefully I haven't missed anyone who have shared so far. Today it's my turn. And uh, like, a, like a good old uh, Dutchman with a, with a hard head, I decided to tackle what is maybe one of the more difficult facets of Psalms, which is, um, let me ask a question first of all. Have, how many of you ev have ever heard the term imprecatory prayer before I just shared it right now? One of you. That's it? Oh, you did. Yeah, after I told you what I was going <laughs> to preach on. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to minister on today. And I'll, I'll flesh that out a little bit as we go. I trust that you will be um, receptive to what God is speaking. Um, this is a difficult topic. It is not milk. It is meat. Um, and I think most of you are mature enough to handle some meat, biblically. But we're, uh, we're grateful for the fullness of God's Word. It contains everything we need. For life and godliness, we're grateful for it. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get into it. Father, we're, uh, I pray, God, that my tongue would be even as the pen of the ready writer today, and that I would effectively minister your truth. Uh, we acknowledge that without you, we can do nothing else, including preaching your word, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit's presence in our midst, we pray for open hearts and open minds to receive your word with, we receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save us. Lord, anything that I say that's not of you, I pray it would just fall on deaf ears. But what is your word, Lord? I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to comprehend what it is you're speaking to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so imprecatory prayer. Anyway. Uh, let me start by saying the Psalms are almost universally loved by Christians all over the world and have been for generations and generations, and they contain obviously heartfelt prayers, and uh, they express an emotional vulnerability that we can relate to as God's people. And there, uh, there's a passionate praise of God that we find in the Psalms. It's, it's uh, you know, these people who, are, who God has seen fit to... Uh, allow to write the Psalms and, and record them for posterity. These are people who had a passion for the Lord. Amen? Um, and uh, today I'm going to try and flesh out some of the more difficult stuff in, in uh, Psalms. And uh, I'm going to talk about imprecation or imprecatory prayer. And you guys are going to know what that means by the time I'm done. Um, so the definition of imprecatory prayer is a couple of different ones I'm going to, and, and 
please listen to this. Uh, one is to invoke evil or curse on our enemies. Ooh. And another one is prayers in which the judgment of God's enemies are uh, requested or they're found. So that's pretty heavy. There's a lot of people that say imprecations or imprecatory prayers are um, expressions of man's sinful desire for vengeance on his enemies. Some describe them as defective prayers that are cold-blooded expressions of malignant... These, those are, there's a mouthful. Cold-blooded expressions of malignant cruelty and must never be regarded as, as inspired by God. Well, I got a problem with that. In that, if I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God... How many of you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? If the Bible is the inspired word of God, in its entirety including, and this, is a, this may be a shock to you, but of the 150 psalms, there are more than 30 psalms who, that have imprecation, can't even say it, imprecatory elements to it. So that's 20% of the psalms, and that's not an amount that you could just ignore and say, well, he's, David was having a bad day. And they weren't all written by David, but he certainly is a major contributor to imprecatory psalms. So, I believe that uh, <laughs> because God's word is inspired, I was going to get some people to read some scripture. Maybe I can still do that. How many of you brought your Bible today? Because you notice there isn't going to be any overheads today because you've got an old man at the front who doesn't know how to do that stuff. Um. We're going to do it the old-fashioned way. I remember being at a, at a sermon one time years ago where David Wilkerson was. How many of you ever heard of him? The cross and the switchblade, yeah. He was there, and his statement was, if you didn't bring your Bible, you came naked. <laughs> so I trust you brought your Bible, and that you are not naked in that sense. So I got, oh yeah, it's here somewhere. It's right here. Here you go. You want to use my Bible? Oh. Anyway, can someone, uh, when I call for it, read 2 Timothy 3, verse 16? Anyone? Just put up your hand if you can cover that. Yep. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Someone else, I want you to read uh, at the appropriate time, Luke 6, 27 and 28. Okay. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Somebody want to nail that one for me? Thank you. And um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Anyone? Josh? You've been busy already, Joni. Um, 1 Corinthians 16, 21 and 22. Jordan? 1 Corinthians 16, 21 and 22. And then uh, Galatians 1. Verse 6 through 9, Kevin. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Okay, so I don't remember which one of you put your hands up for each one of those, but when I call that scripture, I would just do it. All right? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. So, let me make the point again. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, and so the imprecatory prayers we find in the Bible are... I believe, inspired by God 
so that the psalmist wrote those down. And they're written down for, let's not forget the psalms were actually given to the psalmists for people to use on a daily basis, or at least when they came to the temple, as, as songs of worship and songs of communication with God. That's what they were for. It wasn't like this guy just kept it as a little secret. It's, it was part of the, 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 the people of Israel's worship time. To, so this was, all these imprecatory psalms were part of that. So um, I would like to kind of go back to the definition and say, uh, I don't like the first part of that definition, to invoke evil or curse upon your enemies. But the second part, the more maybe a little softer definition, prayer in which the, you, you call on the judgments of God on your enemies is more, let's say, a more appropriate definition. So what, um, what we have, um, 2 Timothy 6, verse, uh, 3, verse 16, sorry. Yeah, read the, the next verse too, please. Amen. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we, if we start, which is, which is a tendency or could be a tendency to roll our shopping cart of, of our favorite scriptures through the Bible and pick out the ones we really like, the easy stuff, the, the blessing, put me under the spout where the blessings come out. That's where I want to be. If we roll our cart through that and we, and we ignore or push aside anything else that's difficult or maybe we have a problem with, we miss the full counsel of God. And we cannot afford to miss the full counsel of God. Amen? So here's, here's a, a saying, a phrase that I learned a long time ago, and you might remember it and you might have heard of it. It says, text without context is a pretext for a proof text. Text without context is a pretext for a proof text. What that's saying in, in summary is, if you take scripture out of context, you can say almost anything you want to have said. You can use it as a proof text for almost anything. And let's face it, there's all kinds of cults out there today that use Bible out of context and end up with some wacky theology that's miles away from reality. And that's why people, we are blessed to have a church family that honors the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God. We want it all. We don't want to just, you know, roll our shopping cart through and say, yeah, I like that one. Well, I, I, I'm going to have more of that. No, I don't want that. Right? Amen. So, so let's get some context here then in, con in, in terms of the Psalms. Um, I have to say that many, if not most, of the psalms that have imprecations in them are psalms of David. They're written by David, King David. Now, what's, what's some of the descriptions you've heard about King David? King David was what? A man after God's own heart. Amen? Anything else? In terms of his psalm writing, what was he called? The sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Well, when you read the imprecatory um, prayers, he don't sound like no sweet psalmist of Israel there. But he was that. Um, and the one thing about 
imprecatory prayer, and I'm going to read Psalm 69 in a minute myself to you. Um, one thing about imprecatory prayer is it's very easy to misrepresent it as a personal um, desire for vengeance on your enemies. But it's, it's almost like you could see it as a vindictive attitude towards your enemies, that you're, you want God to punish your enemies for your sake. And that's, actually, honestly, I think I've had that attitude sometimes, where I just wish God would kick somebody's butt, spiritually or physically or any other way, because he bugs me, or they bug me. But that's not what this is about. David was someone who had, I believe, incredible passion for God, but he also was a merciful man. Like, when you think of him as uh, running from Saul for all those years, Right? And the opportunities that were presented to him to actually take the situation into his own hands. When Saul came into the cave, the cave of Adullam, and I mean, he was right there, and David could have just finished him off, but no. He wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to touch the Lord's anointed. He was going to leave that up to God. So he wasn't personally vindictive. Amen? So... Who's got Luke 6? Okay, so why don't you read that, verse 27, 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Right. So, these are the words of the Lord Jesus. So, here we have what appears to be a dilemma. On the one hand, you have... 30-plus imprecatory psalms in the, in the book of Psalms, plus other places in the Old Testament where these things are found. But you have the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself, as is recorded in Matthew and Luke, which was just read, love your enemies, right? Um, so it seems like we've got, do we have, do we have a contradiction in Scripture? Do we? Well, I would say, as God's people, we never, ever have a contradiction in Scripture. What we have is a problem with how we understand it, okay? God's Word is true in its entirety. So if we have, a, if we have an apparent contradiction, it's not a true contradiction. Okay, so Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Um, so there's a tension there. That's... That's true. There seems to be sort of uh, something pulling us in a couple of different directions. But there's no contradiction. So I want to talk about context now uh, a little bit. In the, old, in the Old Covenant, the enemies of Israel, which, like, let's, let's look at it this way. Israel was a theocracy, right? God was the God of Israel. They were his chosen people. He was their God, and all the other foreign nations around them were, well, for all intents and purposes, the enemies of God's people. And as a result of that, they were the enemies of God. So in that theocratic system where you had all the nations around, and even people within the nation of Israel who did not worship God or who were actually apostate, they had... Um, Within the nation of Israel, they had 
this very much real flesh and blood enemy. Right? So when David prayed these prayers, or the, whoever the psalmist was who prayed these prayers, and, and he was actually aware that the enemies, the flesh and blood enemies that he was praying these things against, were not just his enemies, they weren't just the enemies of David or the children of Israel, but they were God's enemies because Israel was God's people. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So within the context of Psalms, and I don't like to do this, that's the Old Testament, this is the New Testament, we'll get into that a little bit, because there is imprecations in the New Testament as well. So, but I don't want to just say, well, that was Old Covenant, let's just throw that all out. And there's actually Christian people who literally take the whole Old Testament and just say, ah, we don't need that. Ah, no. We got the words of Jesus. That's all we need. It's all God's Word. Amen? So, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, um, and there's some, some who's, who's got Ephesians 6, verse 12? Okay. Okay, did you all hear that? Okay, so, so um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's the New Testament reality. There's, a, there's an, a, a, a revelation to the Apostle Paul that it's not a physical enemy that we're fighting against, but there, is, there are actually principalities and powers. One of the things that we need to recognize as God's people is that we have an enemy. God has an enemy. He's got, he's got, now God is God and he's ultimately sovereign and he's got control, but he has an enemy and the enemy's desire above all else is to ruin everything that God has made good. He wants to kill you. He wants your life to mean nothing. He wants you to have a miserable time. And then what, what did God, what did Jesus come to do? I have come to give you life. He said, John 10, 10, I think, and that more abundantly. I've come to give you life. The enemy comes, he described the enemy in that same portion of scripture. The enemy has come, the thief has come to steal, to kill and destroy. I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. Amen? So, um, one of the things that we need to be aware of is that uh, universally, universally, Without exception, Old Testament knew the enemies of God's people are the enemies of God. Can you remember that? The enemies of God's people are the enemies of God. Because we're His. If they're, if, they don't, if they're our enemy, they're God's enemy. I want to say this, just a little bit of an aside. There's, there's probably two camps, in, even in this room. There might be more, but two for sure. There's the mercy side of the camp. And there's the justice side of the camp. And some of you are heavily leaning towards justice, and others of you are heavily leaning towards mercy, and we need the balance of both of those within the kingdom of God. Because if you were all like me, it wouldn't be good. And if I was like you all, it wouldn't be good. So let's, as God's people, let's have... Um, 
room in our hearts for one another, the mercy camp and the justice camp, that we recognize that one of the things about a prophetic person is that he's more about justice than mercy. I'm a prophetic person, apparently, because I'm more about justice than mercy. But I need you guys that are more about mercy than justice to bring balance so that we're going to be everything we can be. Amen? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is types and shadows, very much of... of um, there's an expression, I hope I get this right. I think I got it right. It, uh, the new, this is talking about the New Testament, the Old Testament, the New Covenant, the Old Covenant. The new is in the old contained. The old is in the new explained. And I think that there's some, you know, there's a dynamic there of types and shadows where there's so much in the Old Testament that's, that's speaking prophetically. Even the, the all the, uh, the, uh, feasts and the sacrifices and all that, speaking prophetically of the mighty finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. And is, uh, so, yeah. So let me ask a question. And I, this is rhetorically asked at this point, because I don't want you to answer it just yet. Who said that? Well, never mind. I know who said it. <laughs> How did I not recognize? Oh. Is it appropriate for us as 21st century Christian people, New Testament Christians, to pray imprecatory prayers? And I want to I qualify that a little bit by saying that I believe that what, what we invariably do as God's people is we continually undervalue the power and the effectiveness of prayer. We continually undervalue the power and the effectiveness of prayer. Um, who's got 2 Corinthians uh, 10 verse 4? Go for it. Keep reading a little bit. Yeah. No, that's good. So the weapons of our warfare, King James, which is the one I learned in, are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are real. Prayer is one of those weapons. Prayer is one of those incredible weapons that God has given us. And, um, yeah. Who's got, uh, that was, first, that was uh, okay, who's got 1 Corinthians 16, 21, 22? Okay. Well, Galatians, uh, we'll, we'll come back to you, Jordan. Um, Galatians 1, verse 6 through 9, that's you, Kevin, I think. I'm astonished that you are so quickly... And then he goes on a few verses later to repeat that very same thing. So 
here it is in the New Testament that Paul, using that very strong language, if someone brings to you a gospel other than the gospel that we have brought to you, let him be accursed. So that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Jordan, you got that one now? Oh, sorry. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 21 and 22. Anyone does not love the, like, have you guys read this before? Probably read right over it. I don't know. Like, it seems shocking. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be cursed. Wow. But there it is. So, what we're, what we're really dealing with here is God is not to be trifled with or, you know, like we, and hear, hear me here. Like, the love of God for us is absolutely incredibly wonderful and true. He loves us. He loved us so much that for God, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, I was in the world, you are in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What has he come to give us? Life. Praise the Lord, but he's not to be trifled with. I think so much of what I hear and see sometimes in, in, in the, certainly in the world around us, is that there's a generic heaven, that everyone gets to go to heaven when they die. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Right? And, you know, in that John, everybody knows John 3.16 really well. But what about the subsequent verses to that? Um, and I'm going to read them, just not that I have this down, but I'm going to do this for a second. How am I doing for time? I'm wrapping it up soon. What I'm in intending to do today, there's no way that I can completely flesh this out today. It's impossible. But I want to stir up in your hearts, by the grace of God, a thought process that opens you up to becoming mighty warriors in prayer against the enemies of God. Not that God would kill them, but that God would stop the hand of the enemy and that God would release his grace and mercy on them. Amen. So um, where was I? John 3.16 and subsequent. You guys with me or am I just, I know I'm not preaching to the choir here, that's for sure. Uh, Yeah, I just quoted uh, John 3.16, but verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is the verse I want to just kind of zero in a little bit here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So what God has done through the, the mighty work of the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ and the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the earth, he's made us able to receive grace from him and understand and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and move from condemnation to the victorious life that Jesus wants to give us, right? So, anyway, a little bit of an aside, but not really. So, then, did Jesus ever 
did Je like we've heard from Paul a couple times here in the New Testament, did Jesus ever um, say anything imprecatory in any of his teaching or preaching? When he cleared the temple? Yeah, well... Yeah, that's it. That's the one I'm looking for. Matthew 23, where he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, blind leaders. There's a whole series of woes that Jesus declares to the Pharisees. It seems so weird, but the ones who sh should have known who he was didn't recognize him. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and yet they are that which testify of me, he said. They didn't get it. But they, boy, they had a religious system down pat, and he, Jesus just declared woes. Now, what does woe mean? It doesn't mean stop, like a horse. Whoa. Uh, I looked it up. Like, it's, it's, it's really an imprecation. It's, a, it's like, may misfortune and affliction and grief come upon you. May great sorrow and distress, may you experience great sorrow and distress. Woe to you. When Jesus says that to the Pharisees, and that's heavy stuff. That's not just, whoa. So Jesus is actually calling down on the Pharisees who were, who were and, and that scripture that you're referring to, the, I think one of the early parts of that scripture, you should read all of Matthew 23 when you get some time. You just you were in Matthew anyway, so read Matthew 23. Um, he says, "You're blind leaders of the blind." He says, "You go you go far and wide to make one disciple, and when you have, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are yourselves." Can you imagine? Here's all this religious pomp and circumstance, and he's calling them calling them out, child of hell. <sighs> So, Matthew 5, love your enemies, Jesus taught that. And although we're, we're, we're commanded to love our enemies, and I think I can say this, if you never pray an imprecatory prayer in your entire life, you're okay. I think you're missing out on, on the potential to push back the enemy, but I think you're, you'll be okay. But... Um, as much as we're to love our enemies and bless those that curse us, I don't believe anywhere we're prohibited from calling evil what it is, calling out evil for what it is, and desiring God to deal with it promptly and specifically in our lifetime. I think that there is, obviously, there's a final judgment coming. That's reality. But in the meantime, I believe God intervenes in the earth on a day-by-day -day basis. He's not just, he's not... Do you understand what an agnostic is, or an atheist, or an agnostic? Anybody want to give me a give me a try here? What's an atheist? Non-believer doesn't believe what? Doesn't believe in God. What's an agnostic? Well, you might not be sure. Right. Well, yeah, and that's essentially true, but an agnostic is someone who believes, may very well believe that there is a, 
a higher power, maybe even the creator of the universe, but it basically it's almost like he wound the clock up and then he goes away and says, well, whatever happens, happens. He's not personal. You can't, agnostic, I can't know him. Unknowable. No relationship. But I believe that he's the God who knows us intimately. He knows our name. He remembers our frame as we heard this morning. He know, remembers that we're but dust. He knows us intimately. And he's willing to intervene in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones and the lives of even our enemies if we'll pray these prayers. So, there's a couple of words. Vindictiveness, what does that mean? Vindictiveness means I want to get even. Vindication which is what God is in the business of doing, vindicating his people. He's setting us free and giving us deliverance. That's different than vindictiveness. Vindictiveness versus vindication. Amen? Um, so we got <laughs> we got to distinguish between cursing our personal enemies, ourselves, or asking God to do something drastic to our personal enemies, or calling upon God to bring down his enemies. There's a significant difference there, right? There's, a, there's some reading I've been doing on a guy named Sam Storms, who's a man of God, a full gospel guy. He says, when David speaks of hatred, and this, I want to say that this was triggered by Jillian's teaching on Psalm 139. When you get into the latter verses of Psalm 139, 139 it talks about I, how much David hates the enemies of God. That's what got me going on this whole topic. When David speaks of hatred for those who oppose God's kingdom, he's neither malicious, not bitter, not um, vindictive, nor moved by self-centered resentment, but he's moved certainly with a jealousy for God's name and, a f and a firmly at odds with those who, are, who want to blaspheme God's name. Okay, that's, I think we need to have that attitude as well as God's people. So, I think we can say that we need to have a balance in our Christian life. We need to have, on the one hand, we need to have a passion for the lost. And that includes people that we currently consider to be our enemies and enemies of the faith. Um, so we can, we can pray, Father, save the lost, whoever they are, individually or, you know, corporately. With, we can also balance that, Father, pour out your wrath upon evil. There's a, there, there's a lot of evil in the earth today, folks. There, is, there are agendas, and I want us to remember that right back in the garden, in Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent... Satan was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. More subtle. He's a sneaky guy. And what has happened in our cultures today, we've moved away from the Judeo-Christian uh, mindset that our, our nations were established on. And I want to get political here, but just for, give me a second here. And we have become lost. We've lost our mooring. And that's the work of the enemy trying to take away from God's glory. Um, so there's a contingency that holds together these two ideas properly. This is a guy by the name of William Ross from the Gospel Coalition that says this. Uh, there's a contingency that holds these two things together properly. 
We submit to God's sovereignty, his justice, and his mercy without assuming that only one of these two options will bring him glory. So a lot of times we may think it's the mercy of God that brings him glory, and it does, but so does the justice of God. If it was not for God's justice, the cross would be irrelevant. It would be unnecessary. He could just forgive everybody and just say, well, you're whatever. But he didn't. He made a way for us. Amen? Uh, None of this implies that praying imprecatory prayers is a light matter. And I've already said to you, if you never pray an imprecatory prayer, I don't think you're in trouble. <laughs> Some people consider it a spiritual nuclear option. You know what a nuclear option is, is when all else fails, you drop the A-bomb. I'm not saying that's necessarily true, but maybe if you held it in that kind of, uh, you know, place, it would be okay. Yeah. While, we, while it's a terrible thing to desire God's judgment to fall on the unrepentant, it is worse still for evil to just continually go unpunished. I want to say, uh, I repeat again, Ephesians 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, we wrestle not. What is wrestling? There's a fight involved. There's a conflict involved. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do wrestle with principalities and powers. And as we've read, we've been given um, the tools to do that. Okay, I'm almost done. Um, be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, walking and seeking whom he may devour. Whom? Resist steadfast in the faith, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Then in James 2, verse 13, I want to bring an overbalance to this. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over, just, over judgment. James 2, verse 13. So, we can call for judgment, but the point of calling for judgment on is still God's, God's judgment is his mercy. When God brings and intervenes in the lives of people, in nations and all of that, it's his mercy that he does so. So here's some helpful guidelines, I think, on how to pray imprecatory prayers. First of all, four, there's four parts of this. First of all, pray against Satan. Resist the devil, right? Pray them against your sinful nature. Uh, that song we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We're, we, you know, pray against that. Pray uh, against the world's systems of corruption and repression. And then finally, you can pray against the enemies of God and your own enemies. I love this scripture in Revelation 11, verse 15. I'm going to stop here. It says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So, 
Praise the Lord. Are you okay? Everybody's. Now at least you know, do, do I, what are you going to, you want to ask a question, Josh? Yeah. We can do that sometime, not today. I actually thought of doing that, but I thought, no, nah, it would be way too long. I'm so long-winded anyway. Anyway. Yeah, Trish. What's up? What's up? Yes. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for um, your word, and we're grateful for um, the whole gospel, the whole truth that you have laid out for us. We pray that we would be a people who are open to hear what your spirit is speaking to the church. Lord, we want May it be that we have that zeal and passion for you, God, and for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may that scripture I just read in Revelation, may that become a, an increasing reality day by day in our lives and in the lives of those around us. May you rule and reign, God. You are the sovereign one. You're the God of the universe. May you have your way. May Jesus Christ be lifted up. May we be vessels, God, who, who are filled with your spirit and, and can disseminate, can sow the life, the river of God into the people in the, around us in our communities and in our nations. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you said that he that believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers, not trickles, not little drips, but rivers of living water. May, that be, may we see it as reality for us, God. And may we allow you to have your way in increased measure. To your glory, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.